Did you say court was out today? Yeah, she um, did uh, literally everything everywhere. <laughs> she's um, she's omnipresent. Um, she had there's an uh, alpaca convention in town. Um, oh my goodness! And uh, Courtney is not an alpaca, uh, but she is a knitter, and um, they make yarn from alpaca wool. So mm. she uh, she went there and. Pet, Snuck around with some scissors. Petted and... some alpaca. <laughs> alpaca or alpacas? We we were debating earlier whether what the correct pluralization is, or just one alpaca. Yeah, exactly. That's that's kind of what I was. You know, an alpacas <laughs> or an alpacum. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I'm not. I don't know. If only there was some kind of electronic tool we could use where we could look up um, words and what what their correct singular mm-hmm. and plural forms were. Uh, unfortunately, mm-hmm. I don't think anything like that has been invented yet. If only. You are listening to Priority, a podcast about choices, limitations, and getting stuff done. Priority is hosted by Katie Leitman and her brother, Max Leitman. That's me. Today's episode is entitled Still No Real Baths. For complete show notes, including links to anything we discuss on the podcast today, please visit us online at priority.fm slash ten. Um, yeah, so this is kind of what inspired me to talk about this topic in general was, um, uh, Michael Lopp, who wrote this article, uh, in, I believe, 2013, um, yeah, March 19th, 2013, uh, he recently retweeted this, um, with, with the tweet headline, titles are still toxic, um, mm. And, uh, I'm, uh, I, uh, I happen to see that because I, I follow him on Twitter. His handle is at Rands, R-A-N-D-S. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the website that has this article on it is called Rands in Repose. Um, and, uh, I, I have to say I am, uh, I have a curious relationship with his work, uh, with Michael Lopp's work. Mm-hmm. Um, he has been, uh, a blogger and webcomic author, of course. He, he works in, you know, software engineering management, I think is the, the main, sort of thrust of his career. Um, he's worked mm. for Netscape, Apple. He's currently at Pinterest. Um, but even though he has this this website, you know, that is long-lived and, and fairly popular, as you noted, you know, those words in Google will bring his this article as the first result. Um, I mainly consume his work in the form of his tweets. <laughs> he's one of the first mm. people I started <laughs> following on Twitter. Um, I've joked a number oh. of times that... Uh, if you follow me, you may as well follow Rands because you pretty much do already. Because um, no, I retweet true. so yeah, much yeah. of his stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I've also, I, early on when I didn't tweet a lot of my own stuff, I said if I wrote a, a uh, app that just randomly retweeted things, you know, every third thing that Rand says and every third thing that Merlin Mann says, no one would know I was gone for like a month. <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, um, <clears throat> that's who this is from, uh, and he he writes a lot of um, sort of management skills thought pieces on the site, and I I tend to like them a lot, but um, I don't actually read them that often. I usually go in binges, and then mostly just consume his <laughs> tweets in between. So, anyhow, um, I I just it doesn't really have much bearing on the topic itself. I just thought it was interesting mentioning this is somebody who who works, you know, his professional life is not about Twitter. Um, in fact, literally it's kind of about a competitor to Twitter now that he works at Pinterest. Um, (laughs) but, uh, it's, it's somebody whose work I consume and enjoy most primarily in the form of tweets. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Sure. Um, but yeah, um, titles are toxic. So did you have a chance to read the piece? I did. I did. Yeah. So tell me, so you said he recently retweeted yeah. it, but what what pulled you into it? This I read? think what pulled me into it, I did not remember I actually, when I saw the retweet I sent the article to Instapaper right away, um, which is what I do with a lot of his tweets of his articles um, mm-hmm. for later reading, and it didn't even occur to me until later that he was actually, you know, the still toxic line he wasn't writing a follow-up piece he was linking to this original piece <laughs> and even hmm. when I saw that I still didn't really recognize it as something I'd read before until I got into it and I was like oh okay about two-thirds of the way down I was like yeah I definitely have read this before well before before I get into what pulled me into it you had a chance to read it you said correct 
Mm-hmm. Um, just for variety's sake, so I don't have a long monologue before you <laughs> say something, would you summarize for us, for the audience, um, basically what he's saying here or what you took away from what he's saying here? Sure. So the, I suppose the main thing, and this just shows my bias and the sort of lenses that I'm, I consume this with, um, the thing I thought about was the difference between, um, what one does for one's work versus how you sort of name yourself or are labeled. Um, so I was thinking a lot about an anecdote I'm, I think I've told before um, on priority um, <laughs> in the context of writing, of course, you may take a drink. Um, but my former advisor, my mentor, who was told when he was thinking of becoming a writer, um, his mentor told him, well, so-and-so, do you want to be a writer or do you want to write? <laughs> um, and I don't know. Do, do you think that is a fair uh, translation of um, what we're getting at here? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think so. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's an important distinction. Like a lot of his thrust here, the reason he thinks titles are toxic, I, I you know, and it's it's funny because as I was reading it, it struck me like the the I like his title. His title is very direct. Titles are toxic, <laughs> um, which is kind of funny. Yeah, title we're not title. we're not talking about. Um, I should say we're talking about job titles, of course, not titles like the title of the book. Um, what I got from. Reading through it, though, it, it really um, – he makes a good case that titles are um, misleading and that titles are a little mm-hmm. bit um, uh, imprecise because, uh, you know, essentially he makes the case that the reason we have job titles at all is that when you have companies, you need to have a way to describe to each other within the company and to others outside the company what each individual person does. Um, mm-hmm. and, and Supposedly. supposedly. And that this can be this can be kind of useful because you need some way to bracket people and compare them and rank them and understand um, what someone's qualifications are and understand somebody from the outside, you know, who wants to come in, what they mm-hmm. did at their last job. Um, but that it's also misleading and and you know, like your writer example, um, it's it's no matter how many and how precise you make these job titles, they're always going to be too imprecise because they don't really get at what people do. Or, right. or what's, yeah, so what's what true I, about mm-hmm. them as an individual. Yeah, what I was hearing um, and what seems to be the key is that when such labels are actually reflective and helpful, <laughs> reflective of the reality and helpful to, you know, like you said, people coming in from the outside or um, even within the, within the structure who don't necessarily know everyone else. Yeah, but I did like, um, he's got one point where he's talking about two hypothetical employees, um, saying when there is no single title that describes each of these people, Mm -hmm. um, but he gives them (laughs) some funny, more reflective titles. Mm -hmm. So, um, his example of Phil, Phil's title should be humble math addled keeper of the peace, whereas Felix, the other supposed employee would be the dark lord of performance and snark. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um and I think I think we do that sort of thing. Um you know, I, I can think of a lot of examples where we understand that these titles are not always helpful and um you know I don't know. We already sort of um rename people mm-hmm. as we see fit in our heads even if we would never say those titles to their faces. Yeah, yeah, oh for sure. Well, yeah. and and even ones um, we do say to each other's faces. Um at my um last couple of jobs before my current one, um I was I was kind of informally known as like the the people's personal IT guy and and people would call me that. <laughs> and not to say that I'm some kind of I'm not a technologist. I'm not a computer engineer. Um, you know, but I know things about Windows and Excel and mm-hmm. PCs, you know, just just from interest well, in having yeah. been around and a willingness to right. you know, frankly dick around and try things I probably shouldn't. Um <laughs> I was I was able to solve a lot of a lot of I would think of as fairly low level problems, but problems that would really stop people or really slow them down. Um, you mm-hmm. know, so very often I was like the informal IT guy right. or the personal IT guy, um, mm-hmm. 
to people who are who are around me. So I've you know I've seen right. that firsthand for sure. Yeah, and I definitely I'm thinking about how these different cultures of names and labels happen. Um, so certainly in the corporate world and the business world, these things happen over time um, as a way to make sense of work that happens at lots of places, mm-hmm. but happens differently yeah. <laughs> still. Um, but I'm also thinking about how um, it happens in a lot of places. Like I'm thinking of when my lovely partner, Billy and I got married um you know, we named you and your wife our host couple. Mm-hmm. Um, and we called you that because that's a very culturally recognized title, mm-hmm. right? Host couple. Sure. That is a that is a thing that people are aware of. Um and I can't remember if we told you this or not, but throughout the process we kept joking about um if we had a realistic program, what we would actually list people mm-hmm. as. Um so throughout the process, we were thinking about um, how nice it was going to be to have the two of you around and you were designated as these helpers. Um, so it's like, okay, well, in some ways, there are gopher couples. Like <laughs> <laughs> you two are going to be running around mm-hmm. for us or you're our, you're our catch-all. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, this needs to get done. I bet Courtney would do it. This is, needs to get done. I'll bet Max would know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, just things like that. Yeah. 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 So that's what I took yeah. away. Um, one thing that occurred to me reading through it too, that I, I think he, he, um, uh, Rands doesn't really get into too much in this. Uh, he, he sort of hints at when he talks about, um, so there's, there's sort of two tracks in a lot of places. Um, there mm-hmm. is, uh, in, in the corporate world, at least, um, I can't really speak to job titles in academia too much, but in the corporate world, there are, there's sort of the management track and then there's the, you know, whatever you would call it, the worker track, the maker track to go back to Paul Graham's (laughs) essay from last week that we talked about, you know, the makers are the people who make things, you know, software, journalism, (laughs) widgets, whatever you happen to be manufacturing or or producing at your company. Um, And then you've got the managers that, you know, direct their work and look for efficiencies and make deals and things. Um, and in a lot of places, uh, Rands postulates that titles arise because you need some way to designate who the leaders are, the people on the manager's track. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you also need to sim- signify growth and experience and seniority. So we eventually evolve titles mm-hmm. on the, you know, what we might call the maker's track. And this is actually when I first saw the title of this essay – uh, this time, and I think when I first saw it in 2013 as well, although again, I didn't, didn't remember reading it until I was most of the way through. Um, the first thought I had this time though was something I've thought for a long time, which is very often, uh, the job titles that arise to signify growth and seniority on a non-management track strike me as being toxic because they're also very, they're not just artificial in that they don't really capture the full range and depth of the people who that title will be applied to. Um, mm-hmm. And they're not just artificial in that they are often subjective, which is a limitation that, that Rand's names here. Um, they're also toxic, I think, because a lot of the times it's wholly artificial. It's 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 like fake growth. Um, the difference in a lot of places, you know, uh, you'll see this in job listings where um, people's various job titles will be classified as like a level one, level two, or level three. So you see like mm-hmm. clerical assistant two as a job listing. You know, or or software engineer <laughs> three, um, like it's okay. you know the sequel to software engineer two, <laughs> and which we know is never quite right, as good. right. And I've I've worked in a number of companies where this is the case, um, and it mm. it does what it does is it provides stepping stones. It provides a track. If you're not going gotcha. to be a manager, well, you can still work your way up, and you can still improve both your title and your salary. Um, and very often, sure. in a lot of places, there will be set definitions for what competencies you need to uh, develop and demonstrate to graduate, mm-hmm. you know, from, say, a, a widget cranker level one to a widget cranker level two. Um, the problem I have with it, though, is in a lot of places, it seems to me that it is – it's it's kind of completely arbitrary and artificial and is not really much of a progression. Like, you're not going to start making manager-level salary when you graduate to a level three. And there mm. usually isn't a level four. Um, and this is this is kind of a broader problem that some people are superstar workers and are never going to be happy with or or good at management. 
but might sure. actually be, sure. and, and not to denigrate the value of management. I, I think a good case could be made for management being hugely valuable when it's, when it's good. Um, but mm-hmm. you could have a superstar producer who is worth much more than any manager for several layers up his, his management mm-hmm. chain, but can never make as much as them because he's in this artificial track of, you know, level one, level two, level three, you're done. Mm-hmm. Well, the other thing I'm hearing in what you're saying, um, and maybe you've been saying it more loudly and I'm just now catching up, or maybe <laughs> you didn't mean this at all, and I'm just digging it out of what you said because yeah. <laughs> I wasn't listening to what you were actually saying. What a, what a, <laughs> I would not blame anybody listening to this nights. podcast for not listening to what I'm saying. <laughs> I don't know that I'm that interesting on my own, though, so let's hope they're <laughs> in it for both of us at least a little bit. Like, okay, what are these two going to wreck this week? Mm. Um, Stephen Covey would call um, that synergy. Oh my God, I'm taking a drink. Um, <laughs> no, so what I'm hearing is I I wonder if part of the toxicity then is also when personal growth and development, no matter the skill or talent at hand, is conflated with this stuff wrapped up in leadership and hierarchy and structure. Mm-hmm. Because the other thing I was hearing in what you're saying was that um, both things could be valued in a company or an organization, both personal talents and areas of expertise and leadership mm-hmm. might be valued. But when those two are tied together, that just feels really debilitating in mm-hmm. some ways for some people. Do you think that's part of it oh, too? I, I do think so. I do think so. Um, another angle that um... – and I don't, I don't think he hit on this at all, but it's another one that popped into my head seeing the title this time. Um, and, and I actually have a counter-argument against this. Uh, well, not an argument against it, but a counter-example, I guess. But the other, the other thing that occurs to me, another problem with job titles is, is kind of a problem with um, job descriptions, you know, lists of job roles and responsibilities, <laughs> uh, in that they can also be kind of stifling, not just because they don't describe the breadth of, of people available, but because if you have a job title and a very clearly delineated set of duties, that can be kind of limiting in how you see yourself or think of yourself. Um, you know, you might be stifling mm-hmm. a potential superstar uh, because you've nailed down what you want from them so precisely. You don't, haven't really given them mm-hmm. the room to maneuver or imagine something different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of the time the real superstars will ignore that and just do what they do anyhow. Um, certainly some of my best success, um, in life I've, I've gotten by doing just that very thing. Um, (laughs) but, uh, I, that occurs to me as another problem with, with titles. It's that, um, Mm -hmm. oh, who are the philosophers that, that Wayne Campbell jokes about in, in Wayne's world? The, the, if you label me, you negate me. Um, oh, he says, was it Kierkegaard or was it? Ah, uh, what was it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was something like, um, oh man, now I have to, okay, you're going to cut this out, but I'm totally yeah, looking Yeah, once it up. again, if only there were some kind of oh, tool. Oh, Kierkegaard could... or Dick Van Ah, Hattie, yes, right? yes. You label me. You <laughs> was it Kierkegaard or Dick yeah. Van Hattie? Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's stifling, not just because <laughs> you, the individual, you know, the, the person next to you who is, who is also a potato masher, grade two, um, might not have, uh, might not be doing quite the same job you are. And it's, it's kind of, you know, mm-hmm. um, Rands does hit on that. Like it's, it's stifling for both of you to be described the same when you're doing different jobs, different ways. Um, but you still get smacked with the same label, but it's also stifling in that, like that might be all that you feel you can do at that point. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so riddle me this, mm-hmm. um, answer me these questions three, um, so maybe I can't tell if this is what you're no I'm just having a real rough time trying. So this is either this is either exactly what you're talking mm-hmm. about or the opposite of what you're talking mm-hmm. about. <laughs> one or the other. So so in one of my previous positions um I was hired for the position of editor. Um and I was the the job was described as being mostly um pretty straightforward technical editing mm-hmm. um for uh research reports and similar documents um i can't remember what range of duties was presented to me when i was applying and interviewing and and was hired for this position Mm -hmm. by the time i was done in this position i had done such a vast array of tasks 
I had not only been editing other people's work, but I had produced work of my Mm -hmm. own, including um, very short reports, newsletters, um, grant proposals. Um, Well, and if if I recall correctly from your stories, you had also done an awful lot of what I would classify as sort of office management. Like you were directing a lot of work. Oh, I hired people. Yeah, hiring, training, setting policies. Uh Um, You were... Creating creating guides, guides, keeping track of what other people were doing. (laughs) You know, you had had a vast array of things beyond editing. I did. So so here's what – maybe it's a counterexample. Maybe it's um, sort of the opposite. So what was sort of um, weird to me was that even by the end of it, when I was trying to synthesize my experiences to put – to add to my resume, to my CV Mm – um, it was hard not to include editor in the position title because that's nominally what I was. Right. Um, but it also felt, it felt like my only, the most realistic option was to say something like editor and writer mm-hmm. or editor slash writer, something mm-hmm. like that. I should look, I don't even know how I yeah. have it listed now. But what is frustrating, especially in retrospect, now that I've been out of that position for a while, um, is that neither of those titles captures how much experience I racked up there. Right. And I wish, in, so in the context of this conversation, I really wish there was a title that could reflect that. Mm-hmm. And maybe there isn't. Well, I don't and know. I mean, like, what would you call you know, that? And that's, <laughs> um, I, I don't know how to capture the writerly part of that, really, but... Um, I, you know, and just again, this is this is my bias, probably just from the stories that you told me. The ones that stuck with me were not about how you were creating <laughs> content, but it was all of the stuff we talked about you doing outside of the role of editing. You know, I, mm-hmm. it, you almost became sort of a de facto managing editor. You know, mm-hmm. and and even that might not quite quite nail <laughs> the breadth of things that you had to do because you know it sounded like. You know, and nothing against anybody you've ever worked with, and we haven't named this publication, so I'll just or this this um the office that you worked in or or anything that they specifically published. So I'll go ahead and say it. It sounded mm-hmm. like a very poorly run, at least part of that operation, um, in a lot of ways. And I can cut that out if you don't want me saying even that. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think I'll yeah I'll sort of nuance that. I'll say that. So just me personally, mm-hmm. not even a, a comment on the organization sure. as a whole. For me personally, um, it was one of those um, sort of perilously free and still somehow constricted opportunities Mm. because in lots of ways, I had free reign. Mm -hmm. So we've talked uh, before about the concept of play and how sometimes just trying things, (laughs) trial and error is... um, the way to find out what is the best option. Um, So I did have a lot of freedom to experiment and to carve out work in my own way. But at the same time, I had some extremely oppressive limitations on my work Mm. um, that was stifling, like you said. Um, So I was in this odd sort of middle state where I was sort of floating between um, <laughs> a, a Dilbert comic and <laughs> and like one of the and a Tom Peters like dream company, or yeah, I was gonna go like stereotypical like Silicon Valley open floor plan. We have our action figures right, on our right. desks. Like. Well, aside from the open floor plan, <laughs> Silicon Valley companies would would very often be his you know kind of dream company where people are just going off sure. and doing yeah, cool yeah. projects and putting it yeah. all on the line. So in some way, yeah. It was like at any instant on any day, I could switch from Dilbert Land to Silicon mm-hmm. Valley back to Dilbert Land. Right. Um, right. So it was a very interesting blend of yeah. experiences. Yeah, okay. Um, That's good nuance. But at the same time, yeah, yeah. So I racked up so much experience and I learned a lot of things. And I also um, gained more leadership and more uh, responsibility the longer mm-hmm. I was there. Um, so before I kind of made that distinction between, you know, personal growth and then sort of organizational growth, you know, you're developing skills, but you also, um, are probably becoming a larger leader Mm -hmm. in some degree. Um, so I had the chance to do both, um, at this organization. 
I don't know, but like looking back, it's like, what was I? Yeah. Um, <laughs> quick digression. You mentioned becoming a larger leader. Um, mm-hmm. That's something I've noticed in most of the management roles that I've ever had. Is they're generally the higher stress jobs I've had, and uh, I generally also have put on more weight during those times. So I am literally becoming a larger leader when I'm <laughs> in, in roles like Well, that. even as I was saying it, I was like, I'm not sure what I mean, but this is close. Um, in fact, in fact, I recently, I'm thankfully, I've started to come down. But in my current job, I actually <laughs> hit the highest weight that I've had as an adult. Um, because I'm coming back down again, I'm now referring to that as peak max. But um, <laughs> you were the largest, <laughs> the leader. largest leader I'd ever been. <laughs> But yeah, to to um so so going back to whether or not that's what I was getting at, I don't think that was quite what I was getting at. This idea of your job title doesn't capture all this other stuff you you do, but that is another. I think that is another important way that we could say that job titles are kind of toxic. Um, as Rand says, one of the reasons that that titles arise in the first place is because you need a shorthand for describing and having other people mm-hmm. inside and outside understand what your job is and how it compares to other jobs. Um, right. But the only beneficiary of that shorthand in a lot of cases is your company. Um, as, as almost anyone will tell you, uh, David Allen makes this joke, you may take a drink, um, Yay. in his seminars, he like he asks people like, you know, raise your hand if you are doing today exactly what your job description was when you were hired. And he says totally. he never gets a raised hand. Um, right. Job duties are fungible. You know, your your job description will change at a moment's notice. Um, and just about every job I've ever hired somebody for or every job I have ever applied for and certainly every job I've ever gotten, even in the list of official duties, there is a clause somewhere, a line that says something along the lines of and other duties as required. You right. know, companies right. companies view all human resources as these sort of open-ended things that they can use for anything, but they're not going to elevate or change your title necessarily just because they've asked you to do something more or you've shown some growth mm-hmm. or leadership. Um, and that's that's one way they're toxic is they get the benefit of making you describable. They get the benefit of tying you to a specific pay and benefits ban. They get the, the benefit of mm-hmm. tying you to a specific limit of authority. Uh, but mm-hmm. they don't lose the benefit of you being a, you know, free, free floating human resource that can be applied to anything that you are capable of doing. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of shocking that I haven't really thought about it until right now, but this, I mean, this is a huge conversation in academia with the culture of hiring adjunct faculty. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm thinking about the ways in which, um, I don't know. I don't even know how to <laughs> dig into it because it's such a big conversation on its own. But but the idea that um, there's this part of the academic workforce that is doing the same work as full-time faculty. You know, we teach, we uh, pick up on-campus commitments as we can, as time allows, Um you know, we are dedicated to our students and our work, mm-hmm. most hopefully, you know. Um, but we are the, um, uh, basically the McDonald's counter mm-hmm. of our profession, right. you know, based on pay and benefits and stability and everything else. Sure. Um, and maybe that's not fair. I have no idea what benefits McDonald's offers, so... But food counter, food service. (laughs) Well, I I don't. Um. I don't think most people. Certainly, there will be people for whom this is not true. But I think in most people's cases, they're going to understand right away that that's not the most desirable uh, position, even in the industry of food service. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's fine shorthand. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. On on the flip side, though, the other thing that that is kind of I've kind of been thinking about this whole time. and uh, it may eventually turn into, you know, <laughs> something useful people can do something about. Because um, if my <laughs> advice is going to be go change the way job titles are handled in corporate America, I think we're probably going to fail to inspire anybody today. Um, it's going to be a little bit out of scope. Um, <clears throat> the other thing I was thinking about, though, reading this piece is the is the way that a good title can be um, 
I almost hate to use this word because we talked about it in last week's show um, in, in kind of a disparaging way, but a good good title can be very inspiring. Um, the same mm. way that a title, a bad, a poorly chosen title, or an in, inaccurate title, or a limiting title can be can be stifling. Um, a good title, I think, can bring out more in somebody. Um, and certainly can be a good, good sales tool. Like you talk about in your resume, like how, how hard it is just to mm-hmm. stick to editor, but how hard it also is to come up with something accurate and that someone who worked there with you would recognize, but that still captures everything else you did. Um, right. on the flip side though, if you had a accurate title reflecting all you did there, that would be a useful calling card. At least if people understood mm-hmm. what it was. Um, and on the sort of inspirational, motivational side, um, my, my story that's sort of a counterexample of where a job title isn't toxic, uh, although it will fall back into the, some of the same traps, Rand's, Rand's names, um, mm-hmm. by the end of it. Um, I've mentioned on the podcast before that I used to work for Franklin Covey, um, who uh, listeners might know, and in case they don't, um, it is a company formed out of a couple of companies, uh, one Franklin Quest, which was the originator of the Franklin Planner, which was a sort of iconic day planner in the 80s and 90s uh, in the business world, and um, the uh, Covey Leadership Center, which was the company founded by Stephen R. Covey, author of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and a lot of other books mm-hmm. that nobody remembers. Um because Seven Habits was such a ridiculous <laughs> blockbuster that, you know, it's hard to top <laughs> that. Um, <clears throat> but uh, it, it was uh, a company at the time, they've, they've spun off some of this since then. But at the time, it was a mix of organizational, like, uh, productivity and, and um, leadership consulting, where they would go into companies and, you know, straighten their managers out or teach people how to manage mm-hmm. their time better. Uh, as well as retailing, manufacturing and retailing, you know, day planners and and other sort of productivity accessories. Um, yeah, yeah. My job title in this company, and I've I've mentioned this a lot of places, and I I'm I really like this job title, and this is this is my positive job title example, was productivity consultant, which mm-hmm. sounds pretty lofty <laughs> and is pretty nice, but here I'm I'm uh, use a douchey Silicon Valley term. I'm opening the kimono here. <laughs> <laughs> I will show I will show people what's behind the curtain. In actual point of fact, the job description for productivity consultant um basically was and you you will know this cuz you know where I worked at the time was I worked in a retail <laughs> store selling Franklin Covey office supply products and you know related mm-hmm. technology and books and things. Um for a limited number of the the quote unquote productivity consultants, including myself, there was also some time working at uh, seminars that were given, public seminars uh, that were given on various time management, mm-hmm. leadership, seven habits related topics. Um, and I did have the opportunity to do that while I was there. But in theory, at least, I was basically somewhere between you know a clerk and a salesman. Uh, in in essence, on mm-hmm. paper, and this is kind of where it gets toxic because. Uh, as I'll mention in a second, that's that's not at all what I was when I was there, I don't mm-hmm. think. But on paper, that's what I was, and that's what many, many people in the company who had the same title as me were. Um, mm-hmm. I'll also mention, too, for anybody who's familiar with Franklin Covey stores at other times, um, I'm talking circa 2005, 2006. Uh, I do know prior to that there was a time when people in my role were called probably the more accurate product consultants. Um, it was literally productivity consultant though. That's what it, what it said <laughs> on my, uh, I believe it said it on my pay stub. I know it said it on my name tag. <laughs> um, so Ooh. productivity consultant. Um, anyhow, the, the reason though I say that job titles can be good and can be inspiring is I really took that fairly literally. Like I didn't, I didn't see my role as being a guy who mines the counter in the store and restocks the shelves and makes sales and rings them up and does returns, rings those up. Um, although I did all those things, uh, that year mm-hmm. I really took it on myself to, to, you know, to be a productivity consultant. Um, mm-hmm. at the time there were about 60 books that were sold in store on a little shelf off to the side of the register. Uh, a lot of actual mm-hmm. Franklin Covey publications like the Seven Habits books. Um, but a bunch of time management, project management, just management in general, um, you know, popular business titles. Uh, yeah. They sold Malcolm Gladwell's Blink at the time when I was there, uh, mm-hmm. for example. 
in the course of my time there during downtime, I read all of those books. Um, <laughs> in the year 2006, in fact, I'd made a New Year's resolution to read 50 books and I, I did it. Yeah. Um, did it by mm -hmm. August of that year. Uh, I took it on myself to not just know our products, you know, in terms of the literal products that I was actually selling, uh, but also mm -hmm. what Daytimer was making and what Dayrunner was making. And mm -hmm. uh, something that most of my, my fellow associates did not know, Franklin Covey also sold a variant lines of products, specialized lines at Target and Walmart um, and the various mm -hmm. office supply stores. And I knew all those lines as well and what was different about them. Um, you know, for, for years after, across a crowded room, I could see somebody with, with a binder in their hand and tell whether it was a Franklin Covey or a Daytimer. Um, you know, I knew all the designs, I knew all the planners, I knew them inside and out. And if somebody came in and had a question about something that wasn't ours, or they were looking for something, and it was clear that they'd gotten us confused with daytime, or they'd gotten us confused with just a generic brand of something they got at Office Max, I could tell them where right. to go get it, you know, what it was. I could also tell them about mm -hmm. ours, but, you know, if they really needed or wanted that other thing, I could tell them where it was. Um, mm -hmm. And actually, I think that's one of the reasons my... The thing I haven't mentioned in this conversation so far is my sales numbers were also really well. And I, I do think mm -hmm. part of that was, you know, I was honest with the customer. I didn't, I knew my right. stuff, but I wasn't using that against them. If what they really mm -hmm. wanted, you know, we had a hundred dollars something or other that they thought was too expensive. If I knew that the version of that we sell through Target was $25, I wasn't going to hold that back ultimately. <laughs> Right, <clears throat> and I think it paid right. off. I, I know it paid off in a few cases because I had people come back in and buy something else from me later, you know, and thank mm -hmm. me for whatever information I'd given them. Um, right, and I think, yeah. and and while I was there, I mean, that's when I, I read David Allen's Getting Things Done and said to several several of my colleagues, you know, this is the future. <laughs> this is better than what we're doing, <laughs> uh, which I believe then, and uh, I think I've been somewhat validated on uh, their new program <laughs> I've mentioned before, the Five Choices. Uh, Franklin Covey's new book and seminar. Um, there's a lot of GTD-ishness about it. Um, it's changed mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, and most of the ways it's changed are towards the kinds of things that David Allen preaches. Um, things okay. like keeping stuff out of your head, externalizing your, your thinking, mm -hmm. um, you know, stuff like that. Um, so mm -hmm. anyhow, this is very long-winded, but... Um, and, you know, while I was in the store, the other thing is my sales philosophy was very big on – I wasn't trying to sell anything to anybody. I was just having conversations with people about how they manage their time or how they organize their desk and enthusing with mm -hmm. them about our cool products and also about the stuff that the company taught and other cool stuff I'd read. Um, a guy came in one time with a with a binder clip on a bunch of index cards, and I'm like, oh, hey, the hipster PDA. You know, he was somebody <laughs> who'd read Merlin Mann's site, 43 Folders. You know, so we talked mm -hmm. about that for half an hour. And that was by no means a Franklin Covey product. But I sold him something before he left. <laughs> um, and a lot of other people, you know, yeah. I, I helped with problems that had nothing to do with what they were buying that day. Uh, because mm -hmm. I had the title productivity consultant and I took that seriously. Hmm. But, yeah, so I'm trying to reconcile this with my editor position. <laughs> it's kind of the opposite. Because <laughs> I, did, I did sort of the opposite. I sort of... And it was a combination. I didn't just sort of sneak my way out. I didn't just spread my little tentacles and grab onto whatever I could and say, I do this mm. now. You know, it wasn't right. um, in, entirely my own gumption. I was also, um, I had a sort of middle manager, I guess would be the uh, a semi-accurate mm -hmm. term. Um, I had someone in, in middle management who was very much about... Um, if not always in practice, at least in in philosophy, in intention, <laughs> would would always be at least nominally trying to get people opportunities to follow passions mm -hmm. and uh, particular strengths um, and things like that. So if I had mentioned an interest in a certain type of project or something that I was working on, as part of my degree at the time or something like that, um, that information would be valuable to this person because then um, they could say, oh, actually, we've been thinking about trying blah, blah, blah. You should lead that. Go look it up and see if you think you could start something like mm -hmm. that, yeah. you know. Um, so it was a combination. Um, yeah. And now I'm trying to think back and, and think about, well, and I don't know if this is part of it. I'm trying to think about, like, what drove me to – Maybe it's just that in general, I've been, I'm sort of an open person to opportunity mm -hmm. and to growth and, 
I think I've always been sort of career and goal driven. Sure. Um, and not even just career because I've never I've never not been in school. Yeah. Well, and that, and that, <laughs> so that goes sort to of, part yeah. of the the toxicity of titles problem though because somebody who does mm-hmm. not share that with you in the same role as you probably would not have been open to or sought out or or agreed to as many of those quote-unquote opportunities on the job. Mm-hmm. Somebody else with the title of editor in that same organization um, probably would be a lot closer to the, the job description, you know, or the mm-hmm. things they took on might have been more drudgery and, and less, you know, opportunities to actually make things better. Um, mm-hmm. And both of you now are editor. And both of you now, if right. someone were to, to phone up your your former employer and say, you know, what did Katie do, you know, in her time there as editor, or what did uh, Beth do in her time there as editor, uh, they would probably, and apologies if you know an actual Beth, I'm just using Beth because that was sort of our, our jokey <laughs> example name two no, weeks ago. still no real okay, Beth. still no real Beth, <laughs> good. You know, what did Beth do as her time there in edi- as, as an editor? Um especially since some time has passed, they would, the person on the other end of the phone, if they get anything at all, and very often you don't these days, but if the company will mm-hmm. say anything at all, they'd probably just read off the job description. And all of a sudden, you and Beth are have done the same job because you have the same title. Even mm-hmm. though you really didn't, you right. were open to rising above and doing more, broadening and deepening your experience there. Whereas Beth was just a straight yeah. editor. Right. So here's what I'm thinking about, though. This has been sort of nagging on me as we're talking. I think in some ways, though, there are situations where sticking to your title keeps you from being exploited. Oh, though. oh, totally. And I, you yeah, know, I'm thinking about when when people try to pile things on your mm-hmm. plate that one would not be physically possible right. in addition to what you've already been doing. But two, like, are out of the scope right. and unrealistic. Well, for and going reasons. going back to what I said before, um, if the company is reaping the benefit of you having a specific job title and job duties, and keep by keeping yeah. you in a salary band, you know, right. there there are good reasons to have boundaries like that and not let yourself be exploited in that way. Uh, and mm-hmm. certainly, I will say um, there was a sales commission component of my pay at Franklin Covey, but it wasn't very much. Um, I was not compensated for the anywhere from ten to forty hours outside of the store and outside of the seminars I was spending literally every week that I worked there, doing you know studying on my own and working on things on my own, you know, to fulfill right. what I saw as my use a douchey Franklin Covey business word here as my mission. <laughs> as a productivity <laughs> consultant, you know, we're on a mission from God. Um, now, in that case, I don't feel exploited because I was following a passion. You know, I I became mm-hmm. deeply interested in this stuff. There, obviously, I've got a right. podcast about it now. Um, <laughs> but it, certainly, that could be looked at as exploitive. Mm-hmm. If it were an expectation, if it were an expectation, indeed, indeed. Mm-hmm. If if mm-hmm. everyone was being told, like, go read all these books and go work on this stuff, and when someone comes in, you know. <laughs> Even if they're only going to buy like a $3 thing from you, spend 20 minutes talking to them enthusiastically about how they can improve their, their productivity and, and organization, <laughs> um, you know, which was my approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think that would be looked at as exploitive if it was an expectation. Yeah. So I'm also interested in this thread. Um, so as you're talking about the things that you would do um, beyond your sort of on-the-page job description, job duties mm-hmm. um, at Franklin Covey. I was thinking about the idea of thinking of your work as bigger than your work. Mm-hmm. So I know this is this is not true for a lot of people, and it's not even the way that they want to think about work. They think of work as work. It is something you leave at work. <laughs> uh, they think of it very transactionally. Um, I'm giving a certain amount of time and effort for a certain amount of money, and mm-hmm. that's it. Mm-hmm. And that it is something that happens at work and I don't take it home with me and that there is a sort of uh, a clearer division between um, who you are at each place, mm-hmm. um, which is fine. And I'm actually glad that people think of their work in different ways. That's okay. Um, but I'm thinking about the way you're describing the way you treated that position, the way that work does connect with passion and it's treated as an art or a craft, whichever of those is, is more appealing to think of. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But it makes me think also arts and crafts. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me think of glitter and macaroni. Yay! Throw some glitter. Um, Make it rain. No. Um, You're welcome. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep talking. Um, but it made me think of uh, this concept. Um, there's a collection of of. Well, I was gonna say essays. It's a collection of essays. It's a chaptered book. Um, called the Everyday Writing Center. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, if you can believe it, a collaboratively written book, um, by five people, (laughs) um, which is sort of a marvel in itself to think about the project. (laughs) Um, but it, it makes perfect sense because the sort of overarching topic of this, of this book of the Everyday Writing Center, um, is this idea of communities of practice. Mm -hmm. So the idea that together in a space like a writing center, um, there are faculty and staff and students and student writers, um, all of whom are practicing this work together, you know, fostering a space that hopefully um, encourages a culture of learning Mm -hmm. um, where work literally physically happens every day. but also a space where those individuals involved have the time and opportunity to reflect and grow together and individually um, so that it's a reflective practice. It's an informed practice um, experience is brought in alongside um, theory and best practices from the field mm-hmm. at large. Um, so this idea of people working together, but also being reflective together to sort of consciously be aware of how culture and practices are being shaped. Um, So anyway, so one of the things that's emphasized in this book um, that resonates with me a lot is the way that when you are open to treating an opportunity this way, um, it allows for a lot of connection making. It allows for you as the Franklin Covey employee to bring up something that you've just read that maybe is not a material that's produced by your company. Um, But if you hear a connection in something that a customer is saying, and it might be helpful to them, it might be enlightening to them, um, and it's also interesting to you, why wouldn't you bring it up? Like that enriches your interaction. Right, right. A lot of my Mm -hmm. best sales there were the the fruits of enthusing with somebody about these topics more generally. And mm-hmm. then and then eventually, mm-hmm. you know, we're surrounded by good products and good books. Eventually we bring it back to what's around us or their curiosity mm-hmm. is piqued about something that is a product of the company that, you know, I was working for. And and from mm-hmm. there, you know, we made the sale. Right. But in that case, you aren't even leading with the product right. as the solution. Right. And in a lot right. of cases, it wasn't even, you know, what's often preached in, in sales uh, training in theory is this solutions-based selling. You know, you get to know your customer and identify what their problems are and then sell them a solution, you know, uh, comprised of uh, what you, what products and elements that your company deals in. Um, right. A lot of times it wasn't even that. It wasn't like, you know, I was talking to them in order to identify a problem so I could point them at a product. Although that happened too. Mm-hmm. More frequently though, though, when that happened, it was a customer came to me with a problem or in the course of our discussion, they, they brought up a problem on their own. Me, I was just, mm-hmm. I was enthusiastic about these things and wanted to help them, you know, any way I could in these, with these subjects. Um, mm-hmm. and, and just mm-hmm. sort of organically, sometimes that would lead to a sale and sometimes it wouldn't. Um, but, you know, I saw yeah. my job there is to, to consult about organizing and goal setting and time management type issues with anybody who came right. in the door. And then if they want to buy something too, you know, I'd throw that in, you know, more or less for the hell of it, we would do the sale. <laughs> um, right. No, I'm really digging the analogy now to writing center work. Um, because if we think of, let's say, um, a cleaned up essay, mm-hmm. right? So something that even... Uh, a technical editor could do, not even a um, a writing consultant. Right. Um, so let's say that's the product, that's the sale. Um, it's not always the direct goal. Like we are there to um, try to help people figure out where they're mm-hmm. at and then maybe determine a next course of action. But sort of like you're saying with referring them to other products that could be helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes 
you might get to the end of a session with a student writer and find out that the thing they need next isn't something you can offer. The thing they may, may need next is, oh, okay, you need to go do a little bit more writing mm-hmm. to explore yeah. this idea. Yeah, absolutely. And I can't, I can't think for you. So it sounds like next step right. is you need to keep digging <laughs> and then come back sure. and talk with us. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, an interesting, um, the last thing you said keyed off something job title related that occurs to me in all this. Um, I will say there's probably somebody who used to manage a Franklin Covey store listening to this right now, pulling their hair out, going, how dare you? You're ruining everything. Um, in actual, yeah. oh, in actual point so. of fact, I was the, I don't know if I was the top salesperson by, by actual dollars. I don't recall what the comparison, how that broke down, but I was the only salesperson in our store that every month I was there, I made my individual sales goal. Um, a goal, by the way, that was set arbitrarily based purely on the number of hours worked. Um, and every oh, okay. single month I was there, I hit my goal. That was not true of the store mm-hmm. as a whole, and that was not true of any other individuals in the store. So I was not hurting the company in any way, shape, or form by approaching my job this way. Um, no, no. And I think that um, that says a lot about the sort of genuine commitment to the process. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I think the results show that, and I, I can't think of another way to say this, but what I'm wanting to say is you were right. Like your approach was measurably the best approach because <laughs> <laughs> it, it came out that yeah, way. Yeah, um, indeed. I don't know. So I guess I'm saying like, I don't know who could listen to this out of context even mm-hmm. and, and be like, wow, he really hates that place. Yeah, no, probably no, no, no. somebody who thinks sales associate three is a good job title. That, mm, I guess I've been sort of nicely insulated from <laughs> some stuff like that. Yeah. And it's, um, um, yeah, Rands has, has a good example in the, in the article about, I, I've been mentioning, I've been making fun of the grade or level one, two, three thing because, because right, I think right. it is deeply artificial and is used to simulate career progression for people who don't really get career progression. Um, well, and I guess, but you know, I, he has a good example mm-hmm. in, in engineering. You might have like, you know, um, junior or assistant engineer and then engineer and then senior engineer and lead engineer and architect. Like, you know, it's not always a Mm -hmm. matter of, of obviously deeply artificial leveling. It's, it it is sometimes a matter of, of classifying, you know, with distinct titles. Um, Although I think he would say, and I would agree that doesn't necessarily mean it's not still artificial. Right. Well, I'm thinking about, and maybe, maybe it's just, especially that they are numbers and not words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then again, I guess that happens when, when you do verbalize it sure. too. I'm even thinking of in academia, um, some of the standard titles as you move through the ranks of professorship are assistant professor, associate professor, um, and full professor. Um, but would it mean anything different at all if it were professor one, two, and three, you know? So I guess it's it's probably just that it's numbers and not language. But then now that I'm thinking about it, it's like, well, but if you knew what the numbers meant, what's the difference? Right. Yeah, I, I I think, I mean, to me, <laughs> and this is just because when I have seen the numbers, this is more often the case. <laughs> like places where I've been that, that use distinct titles for, for leveling within non-management roles, um, mm-hmm. I haven't been many places like that, but where I've been exposed to it, there was more of a distinction. Like uh, a company I worked in that had oh. assistant project managers and project managers, there was a pretty clear delineation. Like you were, you were mm-hmm. doing a different job. Um, I, a couple places I applied for jobs for, um, a, a couple years ago now when I was searching for work here in Kansas City, um, would have project managers and project coordinators. And it wasn't just a matter of degrees. Like you were doing a different job as a project coordinator. Um, mm-hmm. You were you were much more of an assistant and a gopher. And uh, you know, you're, it wasn't just that you were doing fewer project management duties or lesser project management duties. Like you were doing different work um, to a degree. Gotcha. Whereas a lot of the places mm-hmm. where I've been that do have the numbers, yeah, if you know what the numbers mean, what's the difference? Sure, but the numbers usually are very transparently artificial. Like they've taken <laughs> what should be the job description of the role and they've made 60 or 70% of that a level one. And then they've added a few more things in to be a level two and they've added a few more things uh. in to be a level three. Um, mm-hmm. And when you see what the salary ranges are, it's very clear that 
really, you should probably have all these duties in one rule, and the salary range should be from the bottom of level one to the top of level three. Right. <laughs> you know, oh, and God. you really yeah. should have something else for somebody to graduate to beyond this, or a way for them, if they are more valuable, to break the t- upper bound of the salary range, you know, if you really mm-hmm. want progression. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think Rands talks about how they are a way to to symbolize and, and to capture and and, you know, express growth for people on the non-management track but a lot of places i've really felt like in that it's a way to simulate growth you know Mm -hmm. for people who want it but where the company structure doesn't really have room for it Mm -hmm. there's there's no way sorry beth there's no way for you to grow into a role where you're valuable enough that we can pay you a hundred thousand dollars a year unless you become a manager and then a manager of managers (laughs) Because no one yeah. says that. And your meeting it. skills are abysmal, mm-hmm. so you're never going to be a manager of managers. Sorry, Beth. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> Managing the manager should be right up her alley. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so, yeah. So, Max, what would you what would you propose? Titles or titles? <laughs> how, how do we think about uh, work? how do we think about our positions? I think I think the solution that we need to propose here is corporate America. Go f- yourself. Um, <laughs> you you said you did like bleeps. Um, no, more seriously though, um, I I think as an individual, I mean, all you can really do is is what you can do. You know, you whether you're a manager or a business owner or um, a corporation, if you are a corporation and you are listening, <laughs> bravo. Um, corporations are legally people in America, so that could happen. Mm-hmm. A corporation could be subscribing right now. Um, but more likely, you know, you, you may at some point in your life be able to influence job titles. So I would just say choose them carefully when <laughs> you do. Mm. Think constructively about how much they really mean. If you're in a position where you're hiring people, consider that the job titles people list on their resume, assuming they're even telling the truth, are likely very <laughs> artificial and stifling labels that don't really describe everything that they did. I, I think the, mm-hmm. like, as far as like leaving it with advice though, a, a tip or something, you know, that people can do about this. Um, <laughs> I think the only thing I would say is um, be mindful about job titles in your own career. Um, mindful about them for other people. As I just said, when you see them on someone else's resume or business card, mm-hmm. keep in mind, you know, mm-hmm. that it's shorthand, that it's not really the person um, being described by that job title. Um, but also I'd say on the flip side, also look for places where, you know, even if you've got a fairly bland job title that doesn't speak to you. Um, and certainly I know productivity consultant wouldn't speak to a lot of people the way it did to me, but even if you've got a title that nobody's going to think is particularly interesting or great, you know, be familiar with your job description and be familiar with what your title means to people outside your company and ask if you're really doing that. And if there's an element of that, that you could do more of and do better, you know, so that when you tell people what you do, they'll still understand, you know, you're not going outside of that range, but you're doing it in a way that's really you. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking about, in particular, <laughs> Franklin Covey product, um, their their current book and seminar on productivity, The Five Choices, um, has a, a chapter about uh, roles. Um, Hmm. And uh, Franklin Covey, uh, converse to things like David Allen's Getting Things Done, um, are big on this sort of classical motivation, time management, leadership idea of sort of top-down thinking about priorities, where you sort of define your big picture goals and what you want out of life, and then break that down into smaller goals and actions and things. Um, mm-hmm. And in in this particular framework, framework, they really look at that from the standpoint of roles and tell you to define like a small number of roles that really sum up what you want to do and what you want to be about in life, um, you mm-hmm. know, with your family, with your community involvements, and notably with your career. Um, and they mm-hmm. actually encourage people, um, I think, to sort of break out of the job title mold um, and uh, create a, a role title for yourself that you find inspiring and that describes the contribution you want to make. You know, so not necessarily the contribution you have. Um, and their their examples are actually kind of pedestrian. I don't find them very motivational. But I think the idea is good. Um, <laughs> so they say things like instead of manager, mm-hmm. you might describe yourself as a coach. Um, mm-hmm. You know, sure. you, you try to summarize mm-hmm. it in a way that is inspiring to you and that reflects what you want to do. 
Um, and I would say that might be a good exercise to think about your job title. Think about what job title you'd rather have if you were doing the same company and the same job, but that you're going to find inspiring the way I found productivity consultant inspiring. That's going to make you get up every day and say, hey, I am a such and such. <laughs> I don't have a good example <laughs> off the top of my head. Uh, I am a managing editor, bitches. Um, so there. Yeah. Uh, find find the title that's going to inspire you and try to live up to that and then maybe go have a conversation with HR and say, hey, I'm doing this job in this way and these other jobs alongside it. You know, can we talk about a new title? Mm-hmm. And here's my idea. Yeah. So, I don't mm-hmm. know if that's useful to anybody. I think I just rambled for 20 minutes about nothing. Groovy. I'm, <laughs> I'm still going to call you my brother. <laughs> That's still your title. I think I think brother is okay. Oh, co-host. Co-host. <laughs> yes, my title is co-host. You know, and it's it's <laughs> funny you say that actually, because that's something that I you know whenever I'm involved in a project like this, I find it very inspiring to describe myself as the noun of the project. You know, I am a podcaster, um, mm-hmm. and that's actually that's sure. you know maybe a side <laughs> sub-motivational tip we'll tack on the end. I don't know if this works for everybody. This works for me. I really like thinking of myself when I'm working on something as being, you know, I am this thing. And um, mm. one thing that spurs me on, we, we talked about Stephen King and, like, having the first reader idea, like, think of who your audience mm-hmm. is a couple episodes ago. I kind of like thinking mm-hmm. about who, I don't know about enemy, but who, who my nemesis is. Like, who's going to say, like, who does he think he, you know, oh I think God. of somebody saying, who does he think he is? He's not a podcaster. Mm. Are you kidding me? Oh, yeah, that's what we need. Another white man talking about, you know, giving advice on the internet. Eh, I roll. I think about that person. And I'm like, no, I'm a podcaster. Suck it. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, maybe that's. We saw bases <laughs> in Maybe that's another, another sub tip on this is like, you know, take the title, take the title that you want and do that thing. And if you're doing that thing, that's your title. Um, don't do that with doctor, but yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, please don't do, <laughs> don't that, do that with doctor. If it's not your but title, <laughs> if you want, if you want to write, start writing and then call yourself writer, mm-hmm. you know? Yes. Um, yes. if you want to, if you want right to be on. a boss, start bossing people around and call yourself boss. Hey, I started in kindergarten. <laughs> so It came back on one of my report uh, cards that you were, you were a boss or that you were a writer. Uh, there's bossy, uh, so oh, I'll bossy. take that. Uh. <laughs> mm, you think that's good? I think so. Ugh, I'm I'm a mess tonight. I'm glad I started verbally acknowledging it. I feel like that saves. Mm, it a yeah, bit. no, it it helps. I think. Oh, um, yeah. and I I can definitely say that it helps because, as you know, I am a podcaster. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Okay. I have one tangent, but otherwise, I think, um, yeah, I'm about out. Okay. Tangent. <laughs> tangent. You want me to fit back in? Uh, maybe. Okay. I don't know. It just might be yeah, interesting chit chat. Um. So the other thing I'm thinking about is how. So this this conversation comes up a lot. Um. In writing center work, you may take a drink. Um. I actually, literally was taking a drink when you said that. I thought I heard that. <laughs> yeah. Um. So either coughing or because I said something. Um. On. Max and Katie bingo. Um, uh, uh, because different centers do frame the positions differently. So for instance, um, at Doan and in many centers, I know we call the students who do the tutoring consultants. Um, and we call the people who visit the students who visit to use our services. We call them writers. So we have consultants and writers typically not student consultants and student writers. Although sometimes I'll, I'll say that, Especially places like here where it's we're not in school, mm-hmm. so I think it helps to remind people what humans I'm talking right. about. Um, but in the center and in within those circles, um, you know, I would say the two types of students at hand are consultants and writers. Um, um, and my position is director, um, which I think is also fairly mm-hmm. common. But at some places, they do call the the people doing the helping. Um, they might say writing coach. They might say writing tutor. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they say lots of different things. They might just call the visitors students. They might not <laughs> emphasize they writing. They might call them visitors. <laughs> they could. They, some people say clients. <laughs> Patients. Um, no, but there Patrons? is a lot of um, there is a lot of implicit. Uh, there are a lot of implicit metaphors about writing centers as mechanic shops mm-hmm. or 
or hospitals, you know, it's where you, you have to triage what's going on. You should, you should get a little sound effect on your phone, like a, like a, you know, hydraulic wrench going. (laughs) (laughs) Time to go to the grammar shop. Yeah. No, for real though. It's a, it's a big overarching conversation, um, about the different Mm -hmm. way to, to talk about our work and to talk about the humans involved. I, um, I like one thing, one thread in there that jumped out on me is you, uh, you mentioned at the beginning that you you just call them consultants and writers, not student consultants and student writers. Um, Mm -hmm. and I, I think that's, um, there's something in that I like that reminds me of when you were talking about, you know, giving your students a harder task and they rose to it and, and kind of like Mm -hmm. me taking productivity consultant and rising to that instead of just taking it as a sales job. Um, for sure. In that you're not, you know, if you were to say student consultant, you're kind of demeaning what they do. They're saying this person can only really help mm-hmm. another person at the level of a student. And same thing with the writers mm-hmm. coming in. If you call them student writers, you are you are saying they're not capable of actually writing. They're just learning to write. Right. They are only a particular type so of writer. So even, even if it's sort of an incidental, we're only doing this because they're all students and we're in a school setting anyways. So we're just distinguishing among them. Why call them, why put student on? Even still, I think the, the exercise of not putting student on is healthy. Um, you are, you are giving them a title to rise to. You know, you are not a student consultant. You are a consultant. You have been listening to Priority. Once again, for complete show notes, or if you'd like to send us feedback via email or subscribe to the show, visit us on the web at priority.fm. If you enjoyed the program today, please go to iTunes and leave us a positive rating and review, as that will help new listeners find the show. Also, if you're interested in getting updates or communicating with us via tweets, follow us on Twitter, where we are at PriorityFM. That's at P-R-I-O-R-I. T-Y-F-M. Thanks again for listening. Ranks of professorship are assistant professor, associate professor, um, and full professor. Do you ever go beyond um, but, full professor and become like professor and a half? Double professor? <laughs> professor 2.0. <laughs> um, Ooh, that could that could be your yeah. your your best-selling uh Silicon Valley inspired book on education. Ew. Oh my god. I'm already rolling my eyes and I already hate the font on the cover. <laughs> Gross.